We live in a world that doesn't always understand grief, but we do. We see you, we hear you, and we're here to talk about grief in the most real of ways, because we have lived with it too. In this podcast, we'll look at ways to integrate grief into a life that is fulfilling and meaningful for you. There'll be no platitudes or silver linings, but there may be the occasional F-bomb. I'm coach John Polo, and my person died. I'm coach Carolyn Gower, and my person died too. Oh boy, everybody, we are back for season four of the My Person Die 2 podcast. Carolyn, we're back. How does it feel to be back? <laughs> season four, let's go. You are really excited. You're a little <laughs> bit more excited than I am. There you go. Well, that's because it's like zero degrees here and you have this summer going for you right now, don't you? We have been having beautiful summer weather, but unfortunately today, not so much. It's windy and a bit cooler. Yeah. Well, it was negative five here yesterday morning when I went to get my coffee. So I don't really feel bad for you. <laughs> so let's, before we get into this episode, oh no, I should probably give them the title of the episode first. So this episode is entitled Grief, Evolution, Insights, and New Perspectives. And we're going to get to the episode in a few minutes, but before we do, we have a couple things we want to talk about. So the first thing is today we are recording this episode on February 1st. And it's going to go live here on U.S. time on February 7th. February 14th is the big day, though. That's the day I'm excited about. And not because of Valentine's Day. I am excited because that is the day that our book comes out. For me, book number four. For you, book number one of many. And it is entitled, tell tell our listeners that don't know what our book is entitled. It is That Stupid Shit People Say to Gravers. I am so excited about this book. Now, some of you guys might remember our episode. I believe it was in season one. We did an episode about this. Some people might think, well, why am I going to buy the book? Not only do we have a ton of comments in here that are going to make you think what the fuck is wrong with people. But we have a bunch of heartfelt stories in here. We have some journal space in here. We have helpful tips in here, not only for grieving people, but for those that want to support them. This book is the title, The Stupid Shit People Say to Grievers, and it is so much more. And I'm so excited about this book. I love this fucking book. (laughs) Me too, John. Like... I am so excited that last night I actually had trouble sleeping because I was thinking about it. And I'm so proud of what we've both done with this book. I think it's amazing. And as you said, it's so much more than the stupid shit that people say. We both see it as being a coffee table book. So it's a book that you can just leave sitting on your coffee table And people that come to your house are going to see it there. They will pick it up. And it's a book that they can read really easily and get something from it. They can just flick through the pages and they'll soon see, oh, wow, you know, I can relate to that. Or if they're a non-griever, they'll quickly get some information on why it's not so good to say these things and what could be more helpful instead. So I guess I kind of see it as a win-win all around for grievers and non-grievers. 
And this book requires no attention span. I want to be really clear on that. My first three books, I always tell people, I have ADD, I had grief brain when I wrote them, I have MS, my attention span, I don't have an attention span, okay? I do with my coaching calls, but other than that, I have no attention span. That's why I created my first three books for people with no attention span. This book, you need even less of an attention span. So it's incredibly powerful, but it's so easy to read. Three people have read it so far, other than you and I, obviously. My girlfriend, Allie, who is not a widowed person, who could not put it down and loved it. Janet, my client, who loved it. And Emily, who is a fellow author, whose podcast we're going to be doing soon and loved it. So we know that you guys are going to love it too. We're so excited. Again, it comes out February 14th here in the US. If you're listening from Australia, that will be your February 15th. I also want to mention that for those of you that support this podcast, so as you guys know, it's free to listen to this podcast. We are happy to deliver this information to you guys, but you can support the podcast for $4.99 or $9.99. You can support the podcast and really it helps Carolyn and I keep the podcast going. It takes a lot of time to record this. Bless Carolyn for editing it all and doing all the marketing. It is like not a full-time job, but almost, right? So you guys really help us continue to allocate that time. Go to our website, consider supporting the podcast for the people who already support it. We have some new things we're gonna roll out for you, some really awesome perks. We have been so invested in the book. We haven't had time to completely finalize those perks, but we are going to within the next couple of weeks and we will make you aware of it. Carolyn, before we get to what we really want to talk about on this episode. I have something about grief that I want to share with our audience about my grief since the last time we did an episode, and then you're going to share something. Sound good? Sounds good. Okay. So Michelle's, the seven year anniversary of Michelle's passing was January 22nd. So just passed. And I wrote this piece that morning and I wanted to read it to you guys. And then I'm going to give the mic to Carolyn, and then we'll start the actual episode. So it says, seven years ago today, early morning, I asked everyone to leave the room so I could read the eulogy to you. Seven years ago today, at 9.34 p.m., you took your last breath. Seven years ago today, they told me I had an hour left in the room, and I once again asked everyone for the room. Seven years ago today, I sobbed uncontrollably as I told you, I have to go now. Seven years ago today, I thought the pain was going to kill me. The horrible truth is that you died. But the beautiful truth is that you also lived and loved. You were my wife, my heart, my everything. I never, ever thought I could do this life without you. I did not want to do this life without you. Seven years later, here I am, marching forward with you in my mind and in my heart every single day. I can feel you cheering me on. I can still walk with your love and your voice. I can still remember the moments that you told me I would make it through, even when I was convinced that I could not. 
Seven years later, we all miss you so much. Part of me and part of her will never be the same without you here. Seven years later, we just want to tell you, the woman who for so long felt so unworthy and not good enough, that you were so worthy and beyond good enough. You were the human who inspired me to be a better human. Seven years later, I just want to thank you for allowing me to love you. Seven years later, I just want to thank you for loving me the way that you did. And now I turn it over to you, my friend. That's so beautiful, John. Thanks for sharing that with us. So on the 29th of December 2022, just after Christmas, it would have been mine and Tony's 10th wedding anniversary. And I guess it kind of hit me a bit hard this time because it was something we always hoped for was to make it to our 10th wedding anniversary. And unfortunately, we didn't get in anywhere near it. We got just past our fourth wedding anniversary. So for our 10th anniversary, I decided to go to our special place, which is in the Yarra Valley here in Australia, which is a winery region. And it's just a, a beautiful area with, um, you know, lovely scenery, wineries, very relaxing. And we would always go there on our wedding anniversary anyway. I headed off there by myself. I booked lunch at one of the beautiful restaurants we'd often go to. And I went in there and it's quite a busy place. And I sat down and I was feeling quite sad that Tony wasn't with me. I was glad they had another chair beside me and a setting for him. And I was trying to decide whether to get a photo in a frame that I'd taken of Tony out and put it on the table. And it took me a little while, but I eventually did. I thought, no, you know, I really want to have lunch with Tony. I'm going to put that photo out. And I did. And some beautiful things happened. So first there was a lady and a, a couple of men at the table beside me. And the lady come over to me and she said, oh, you're dining by yourself. And I said, yes. And she saw the photo of Tony and she looked at me and she hugged me. And she asked me all about Tony. And it was just one of those priceless moments I really appreciated because we just don't get to talk about our person that much. And this lady, instead of shying away from the hard conversation, wanted to know about him. She asked if she could pick up the photo and she really looked at him and asked all about him and about me. And then the, the beautiful young waitress who was serving me that day, when she saw the photo on the table, she said to me, oh, who's this? And I said, oh, that's my husband, Tony. And she said to me, um, oh, is he? And I said, yes, he's dead. And she started crying and she shared with me how her grandmother had recently died and she now had a bit of an understanding about what grief really felt like. And we hugged, and then she asked me about him as well. And it turned out that hard day was such a beautiful day that really warmed my heart, that I was able to talk about Tony, I was able to have lunch and feel close to him. It really made me believe that there are some beautiful people in the world, and I was so appreciative to these two strangers that came up to me that day. Yeah, I love that story. You told me that 
you know, on a private conversation we had. Absolutely love it. And that goes again to the book. We share stories like that. Not everyone says stupid shit. Not everyone says mean shit. There are loving, kind, compassionate, amazing humans out there. And when you share your heart and your truth, sometimes you you get that back. You get heart back and love back and all that good stuff. So I'm, I'm happy that that happened for you as well and that you got to talk about your amazing husband on that day. Shall we get to the episode? We shall. Let's do it. So first up, we're going to talk about the evolution of our grief. What we need you to know is that where you are now is not where you'll stay. And look, that applies to whether you're one day out from loss or five or ten years out. Grief is ever-changing and ever-evolving. And I know we talk about this a lot on here, but it's so important for you to know John and I did not get to where we are today overnight. As John has mentioned, he's seven years out. I'm coming up to six years in March. So it's been a work in progress. And to be honest, it will remain a work in progress because, as I said before, grief is ever-changing. And look, I'm not trying to say that time heals all wounds because I personally don't see grief as something that can nor should be healed. We will find healing along the way, but, you know, grief isn't like a broken toe that's going to be fixed. We're not going to get to a place where we say, yay, my grief is all healed and I am good to go. It just doesn't happen like that. But what I am saying is that time will give us space space to get to know our grief and to learn ways to integrate it into a life that can still feel fulfilling for us. Now, John, we've talked several times before about how in those really early days after Michelle and Tony died, we were both a real mess, sobbing on the floor, unable to get up and not knowing how we could possibly ever get through the excruciating pain that we were in but I'm not sure that we've had a discussion around this. I remember at that time in those early days that I felt like I wanted someone to put me in a time machine and take me to maybe two years or five years into the future to a time when the pain had lessened and felt a bit gentler to live with because it was so fucking unbearable that I honestly didn't think I could survive it. Did you have any of those same feelings at that time? So I'm going to answer that question. But before I do, let me say a couple other things. I I kind of am tired of saying to you, I agree with everything you said. I want to start disagreeing <laughs> on some shit. I really do. I want to have some battles on this podcast. We will Bring get to that on. eventually. We will have that one day. But for now, I have to say I agree with everything you just said. So just a couple of things. It's so basic, but it's so true. After a truly profound loss, grief never fully ends, but it changes, it evolves, it continues to look so different over time. And yes, this isn't a broken toe or a fractured elbow, as I did to my elbow when I was 12. This is the loss of your person, whether they were your spouse, your fiance, boyfriend, girlfriend, child, best friend, whoever it was, parent. The word healed does not apply here, but healing 
does and you will and can, can and will is a more powerful way to put that. You can and will find healing along the way. Now to your question, when you're talking about like you want it to be in a time machine, that is actually something that I did not experience because I did not believe it would ever, ever, ever get any better. I did not believe it. And that's when I talk about, you know, I say hope used to fill me with rage. People would talk to me about hope. I didn't want to hear it. It made me angry. Fuck you and fuck your hope. It's never going to get any better from me. There is no way. That's what I thought for quite some time. But what I eventually came to learn is that that was not true. I eventually was able to peel myself up off the floor. I was eventually able to take a deep breath. I was eventually able to laugh, even if only for a moment. I was eventually able to allow myself to laugh, even if only for a moment. I was eventually able to connect with other people who understood. I was eventually able to think about hope in a hopeful way and not in a way that it filled me with rage. I have said this a million times and I will say it a million more for as long as people have any interest in hearing the words that come out of my mouth. You, Carolyn, myself, people who either do this as some kind of work or people who just want to inspire other people to let them know they can make it through. You cannot start your dialogue with that person by just talking about where you are right now. You have to take them back to when you were convinced that you would never get up off the floor. You have to. They have to know that you were there too. So again, I know I've said it before in this podcast, when people out there are listening to this podcast, they have to know and they have to believe us when we say that we did not believe it would ever get better. But I know you want to talk a little bit about like the curiosity that came with kind of like understanding what you were going through, right? Like wrapping your mind around it. So tell us a little bit about that. Yes, John. And that's all so, so true what you've just said. The biggest teacher for me in grief has been curiosity. When Tony died, there just wasn't a lot of support available. It um, was very different to how it is now. And I honestly did not know how to get through the shit show that I'd found myself in. I often still say I had to learn how to be a widow because I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. So I became curious about my grief and everything that I was experiencing. I gained an awareness about what I was feeling and what made me feel worse, what made me feel better. And I had to wade through a lot of judgments, a lot of criticisms and unsolicited advice. I felt alone and misunderstood a lot of the time, but I was determined that if I had to do this widowed thing, this grief thing, then I was going to do it my way. I would say to myself, my grief, my rules, but I know that I grieve in a healthy way that feels right for me. And that's what I like to empower others to do as well. Yeah, I feel you. I mean, I've said this before. I was 31 when Michelle passed and I can remember sitting in the hospital chair 
she was sleeping a few days before they took us to hospice, thinking to myself, I'm the only 31 year old in the history of the world to, to be losing a spouse. Obviously that was not true, but in that moment, that's what it felt like. And that was my truth in the moment, right? So we had no idea where to turn. We had no idea not only where to turn, but we had no idea that there was anywhere to turn. And like you said, like the more time passes with podcasts and all this type of stuff, the more support there is. But there was a lot less even just six, seven years ago, right? So when you're talking about like kind of getting to know your grief, examine the moments when you maybe feel a slight bit better or the moments when you feel worse, you start to zone in on who's making you feel better, who's saying things that are making you feel worse. You're starting to zone in on, you know, the moments when you feel like you want to die and maybe the moments where you have a little bit of hope. There is going to be so many people who want to tell you how to grieve, how to rebuild, how to live, what to do. And some of it is going to be good advice or advice that you welcome. Some of it's going to be bad advice. But ultimately, as Carolyn and I have said on this podcast before, like you have to empower yourself enough to grieve your own way. And then once you're ready, it will be easier to empower yourself to rebuild and live your own way. And that is part of the evolution of grief. Part of the evolution of grief is when you were on the floor sobbing so hard and you thought you never, ever, ever get back up. And then you do. And then you empower yourself to grieve your own way. And then you empower yourself to start rebuilding your own way. You start to gain some confidence back. You start to feel comfortable in your own skin again. You start to allow yourself to feel hope. You don't let others dictate your broken heart or your hope. Oh, love that, John. So over these years, we have both had our own insights during our grief experience. So we're going to share some of those with our listeners now. I'll kick things off. And the first one is that I've realized that the little things really are the big things. So many people expect that it's the bigger things that you're going to miss the most when your person dies. But honestly, it is all those little things. The banter and silly jokes, waking up beside them. They're snoring. Yep, that's true. They're snoring. Watching TV on the couch together, telling each other about your day. Even the things that they did that used to really annoy you, those are the things that you miss the most. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, look, obviously we miss them in the big moments and with the big things, but it is the small moments. It's walking past them in the kitchen and touching their booty. My God, like I miss that, right? Like it's the small moments, 100%. We know this. We talk about this. You listeners know this. Other people don't understand because they haven't lived through this type of loss. Another one is that you're not stuck in grief if you talk about your person and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. And I want to add that they get to talk about their person to me. So I feel that I deserve the right to talk about my person to them. Don't matter to me that he's dead. He's still important to me. Yeah, if we can talk about the living with ease, so too shall we be able to speak about the dead. I don't understand why this is weird. 
as more time has passed, it's become even more mind-boggling to me that this is a fucking thing. Excuse my language. Like, if we can... If, if Susie can talk about her husband because he's still breathing, why can Maria not talk about her husband? Because he's dead. I don't understand. The love is still there, right? If anything, like, we should give people more space to talk about their deceased spouse. Lordy. And my stomach is growling again. The next one is something that we talk about quite a lot, and that is that people are a version of self-care and such an important version of self-care. Some people are worth your time and energy and some are not, and we kind of have to choose our battles there. Yeah, I mean, you have to pay unbelievably close attention to who you're around when you feel better and who you're around when you feel worse. Who respects your grief and your pain and who doesn't? Who lifts you up and who doesn't? Who cheers you on and who doesn't? So Carolyn, I'm going to give them some uh, insider information here. So Carolyn and I were all ready with the proof of our book. We were all ready. We were done. And then I was like, oh, wait, we forgot to put something in the book. And I told Carolyn and she's like, oh, wait, we forgot to put the other thing in the book. So we added two pages very late in the game to the book, two very helpful pages that I'm so glad we did not forget to add. And one of those little parts of the book that we added is exactly what you just said there with choose your battles, which is, let's just focus on the title of the book again. Let's say you have somebody in your life who continues to say stupid shit to you. Is it worth your energy? It, do you walk away? Do you put up boundaries? Do you tell them how they have hurt you? People are a version of self-care. The more you surround yourself with the right people, the more you try to reach out to the right people in new communities, and the more you distance yourself from the wrong people, the better. And it's going to have a monumental impact on your grief and your healing. Well said, John. Now, this next one is that I have become really, really good at identifying romance scammers. It's true, and it's not something that I'd ever thought I'd need to know, but I do, and it can be quite entertaining sometimes. I use it as a way to entertain myself. So there, there it is. Yeah, absolutely. There are so many idiot scammers out there. I feel like they're usually fairly easy to identify, but sometimes when you're in deep grief, that may not be the case, right? So everyone needs to keep an eye out for that for sure. And we might actually even do a future episode on that at some point. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about grief brain. It's a very real thing, y'all. Um, I will say that seven years out, it's much less of a thing. But boy, oh boy, was it a big thing for the first couple of years. How about you? You have the same experience? Oh, absolutely. Looking back at some of the things I did, um, the worst was when I was driving and I actually drove through several red traffic lights. I don't know how I didn't cause an accident. Um, I'm very embarrassed now. I thought I was concentrating at the time, but clearly, clearly I wasn't. Then there was funny little things like, coming out of the supermarket and um, going to get in someone else's car. Uh, the worst time was when I opened up the door and went to sit in the car and there was someone already in the car. That was a little bit <laughs> embarrassing. 
But there's been many, many things over the years. Thankfully, it's settled down a lot now, though there are still some things that I will put down to grief brain, even if they may not be. It may just be me. Right. I mean, I would say, though, that it does ease. Maybe I experience it from time to time, but it is not what it once was. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Quick tip, we could talk about grief brain all day. And again, maybe this is something we do a future episode on, an entire episode. Pen and paper, y'all, are going to be your best friend. Or apps on your phone, the notes section of your phone, make lists, make reminders for yourself, set alarms. If you know that grief brain is a thing for you, set yourself up for some success. Set yourself up so that you are doing what you do can do to combat the grief brain. Now, the next thing I want to bring up is that I didn't realize the permanence of death until Tony died. The finality of it is absolutely crushing. Not hearing their voice again, no more text messages, no new photos or videos. Those are all things that you just don't think about before they die, but they, they become so real afterwards as each thing hits you and you do recognize how permanent death actually is. And we feel their absence. That's the thing. It's not like, oh, well, they died once. Yeah, they died once. And we feel their absence all of the time. They died once, but every day is without them. So true, John. Their absence is present every day. The next insight we're going to share is that life is so fucking precious and it is to be lived. Now, look, sometimes it may take us a while to accept this one, but I'm now at the point where I feel that I have what Tony wanted so badly, life, a future. So I'm doing my absolute best not to waste this opportunity, the opportunity that was taken from him and he no longer has available to him but it is available for me. Life is so fucking precious. And Carolyn, I know that we both hate this. We both hate, tell me if I'm wrong, but we both hate the whole they would want to see you happy thing. Oh, yes. yeah, we, we hate it. I have no doubt that that's true. But that doesn't mean we can snap our fingers and all of a sudden be happy. One of my favorite things I've ever wrote was... I know my deceased spouse understands my pain, but roots for my joy. Here's my point. Let's say the roles were reversed. Let's say I died and Michelle was still alive. I would not want my wife for the remainder of her days down here, living this human experience to avoid happiness in my name to deprive herself of happiness in my name, to run from happiness in my name. And as a spiritual person, I do believe in an afterlife. If she did that, if she avoided happiness, ran from happiness, deprived herself of happiness in my name, when she got up there, I would be yelling at her like, what, what, what? You, you had the opportunity to do something that made you smile, that you had the opportunity to find joy, you had the opportunity to feel hope, and you deprived yourself of that because you felt guilty because I died. She would get a little bit of a, a little bit of an unhappy Johnny Pooh, Carolyn, if, <laughs> if she did that. We should not do that. We, 
once we're ready to live, we need to make sure that we are not sabotaging ourselves out of happiness in their honor, because that's not a way to honor them. Here, here. So, John, now we're going to talk a bit about some of the new perspectives that we have around our grief, which might be a bit different to the perspectives that we had earlier on. First thing I'd like to talk about is that I honestly no longer care what people think about the way I grieve. As I said before, my grief, my rules, and it, it, I used to take notice. I used to listen to their words. But as I said, a lot of them were very hurtful. Now my motto that I live by for my grief is what you think about the way I grieve is none of my business because it's not. That's their business. That's their perceptions. That's their experiences. It's not about me at all. That's all on them. They can think what they want to. And on top of that, I no longer allow their words to change how I think about my own grief because I am the expert of that. But I must clarify this by saying that it's because I've done the work that I needed to do to get to this point. As I said, I became curious about my grief and learned how I want to grieve and how I want to live. 100%. Look, there's 7 billion people in this world. 7 billion. Every person who knows you or sees something about you on social media, every person is going to have a narrative in their head about you, about the type of person you are, your life, your grief. At some point, you got to empower yourself to say, fuck it. You know, I just got off a call with the client and his client was telling me about two people that he still has in his life. They're on the outskirts of his life. He's put up huge walls, boundaries, but they're still in his life and they still talk from time to time. And they both say really stupid shit to him, but that's the point. It annoys him. It doesn't fuck with how he sees himself and for those that don't like swearing i'm sorry i'll try to clean it up in future episodes it's the first episode back i'm hyper it people say stupid things to him and it annoys him but it doesn't change how he sees himself and that's so much progress because i feel like in the early days of grief when somebody says something to you about your grief Usually it impacts how we feel about ourselves. Does that make sense? Absolutely makes sense, John. This next perspective is something that really consolidated within me just recently, actually. And it did so in a couple of ways. And that's that I have the ability to make wonderful new memories. So how this come about is that I decided to buy myself a Christmas gift from Tony to put under the tree. And I bought one of those digital photo frames. So when it came to load the photos onto this frame, I was looking back through my phone at all the photos I'd taken, but especially in the last year. And you know what? I was really pleasantly surprised because as I was looking through them, it dawned on me that I had actually done things that I really enjoyed. And in that moment, I realized that I have the ability to keep making those fun memories. Whereas before, without realizing it, I was kind of focusing a lot on the memories that I had created with Tony and not thinking so much about what I've been doing in the present and in those years since he died. But here was the proof right in front of me. 
I had been creating new memories all that time and looking back over them brought a smile to my face. So I'd like to invite you who are listening to this episode, just take a look at what photos you may have taken over the past year and see what comes up for you. I've also made the effort to take a few small day or overnight trips this year. Being summer in Australia at the moment, it's a good time to do this. And I began the year with the intention of always having something to look forward to and to do more things that bring me joy. So I'm going to keep you updated on that one. Yeah, I love that. Look, life can have beauty again. I didn't think it could. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, you didn't think it could, but it can. You can find your smile again, your laugh again, hope again. Life can be beautiful again. It will look obviously far different than it did before, but it can. One of the other new perspectives that I have that's become kind of like a reality cemented into my brain here in the last year or so is, but what's become really crystal clear to me here in the last year is that for a lot of widowed people, there will come a time where they may actually feel better about themselves at some point than they've ever felt before. And now if that sounds insane, let me explain. If you have been through absolute hell, hell on earth, and you were on the floor and you thought you would never get back up and you never wanted to get back up and you had no idea how you were gonna make it to the next second, let alone the next minute or the next day, but you did eventually get back up. You did eventually start doing the work to rebuild yourself and your life. For a lot of us, this story is not just unique to me, For a lot of us, there comes a time when we pull back and we're like, damn, I can't believe I'm here. Damn, I can't believe I survived this. Damn, I can't believe I rebuilt myself. And the pride that comes with that, the pride of picking yourself back up and rebuilding yourself and fighting your way to a better tomorrow, Sometimes that can leave you feeling really good about yourself. So for all the people out there who don't have that right now, a new perspective is that that is entirely possible and happens for a lot of us. I really, really love that, John. The final perspective that we're going to share today, and this is maybe a little controversial, but for me, grief no longer sucks. And I used to say it all the time, grief sucks, grief sucks. Today, however, I no longer feel that way. Yes, grief is hard, very hard, and that can't be underestimated. In fact, our grief work is likely to be the most challenging and important work that we ever need to do for ourselves, for our heart, our mind and our body and for our past, our present, and our future. What does suck is that he died. What does suck is that we didn't get the future we had planned. What does suck is that he had to suffer with a terrible terminal illness. So the cause of my grief sucks, but the grief itself doesn't anymore. Well, at least not for me. You see... I choose to remember that the grief I carry for Tony 
was born from my love for him. So that can't be all bad. I grieve because I love him. However, I have learned to grieve in a way that is not only sad. I also honour him and the lasting impact he has had on my life. I remember him with love and gratitude for the time that we shared together. And look, I do want to be really clear here. I don't grieve as a way to prove my love for him. I know some people feel that they do have to stay sad forever to prove that they love their person or they may feel guilty for enjoying life. I too have experienced some of those feelings early on and they are very normal. But this, the way I grieve now, is very different to that. The game changer for me came when I accepted that I would grieve forever because I will love him forever. And then I gave myself permission to not only grieve fully, but to also live fully. Thank you for listening to the My Person Died To podcast. For full information on our books, coaching services and other offerings, visit our websites, carolyngowercoaching.com.au and johnpolocoaching.com. Remember to rate, review and subscribe. And if you found this podcast helpful, please spread the word so that we're able to support more people through grief.